A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP of Data Mesh Consulting Services at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading sponsor for Trino, the open source project, and Jamak's Data Mesh book, delivering data-driven value at scale. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. This episode is part of the Data Innovation Summit Takeover Week of Data Mesh Radio. The summit takes place May 5th and 6th in Stockholm. The Hyperite team, who is running the summit, is giving away an in-person and three online tickets, as well as providing a 20% discount code for Data Mesh Radio listeners. Please see the show notes for more details about how to enter to win tickets or for the discount code. Thanks. Hi, this is Fera from Data Innovation Summit. Join us on the largest and most influential annual enterprise data, analytics, and AI event in the world, bringing together the most innovative minds, enterprise practitioners, technology providers, startup innovators, and academics in one place to discuss ways to accelerate AI-driven transformation throughout companies, industries, and public organizations. With over 200 international speakers in this 7th edition, spread across 9 stages, 6 workshop rooms, 140 TIP sessions, and plenty of learning and networking activities in the exhibition area. The Data Innovation Summit is the place to be for all professionals and organizations working with utilization of data and AI innovation for enhancing customer experience, improve operational processes, enable future sustainability, reinventing business models or developing data-driven products and services. May 5th and 6th, all data, analytics and AI roads lead to Stockholm. See you there! Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? As part of the Data Innovation Summit Takeover Week, I interviewed Daniel Engberg, head of AI, data, and platform at Scandinavian Airlines. Daniel will be presenting on structuring an enterprise-wide data organization on May 6th in Track M4 at the Data Innovation Summit. While we didn't preempt his talk, we did discuss a lot about organization structure, not just for the data org, but across the entire broader organization. A key point Daniel made right away was that organizational structure should be tailored to accomplishing your goals. So we have to know what those goals are first. What are the capabilities we need to meet those goals? Quote unquote, traditional companies are often locked into their silos that are structured by competence. So data engineering is in one silo, marketing in another, sales in another, and so on. Daniel is interested in figuring out how we can split up the competencies to create cross-functional, cross-competency teams, but 
not cause chaos to the organization as a whole, that if you tried to split all of them out that way, that would cause that chaos. Daniel gave an, uh, an example of creating a cross-functional team early in the pandemic as there were some very big threats to the business. Being an airline when no flights are happening is a scary place. The team was able to move so much more quickly than the way the company had tackled challenges previously, achieving their goals in just a few days instead of what typically might have taken a couple of months. This cross-functional work also created new information sharing connections across the entire company that continue on to this day. What Daniel learned from that experience, he's trying to replicate as best as he can to make it business as usual instead of a one-off. As the head of AI, data, and platforms, he is working to infuse members from his team directly into more projects so they can be part of the teams and, and decisions instead of handling requests after decisions are made. It also gives his team members the ability to rationalize, rationalize goals. So there is a bet, better ability to do maybe 80% of what would be requested with only 20% of the work in a month instead of the whole 100% in six plus months. Where, where is that value cutoff where it costs more to um, for every additional bit of value than that value is actually worth? This way they can negotiate instead of just take requests. For Daniel, product owners must start working to gather the competencies they need on their own cross-functional teams. But that can cause issues when those domains actually start to hire when they lack strong knowledge in that competency, such as domains hiring data scientists when they have no idea how to find a good data scientist whose capabilities match their needs and goals? Or do they even want a data scientist instead of a data analyst? <laughs> then the career growth aspect gets scary too. Does a product owner need to know how to grow the career of 10 different types of widely varying roles? Or does the person that's embedded into that cross-functional team not really have the career growth aspects of people knowing what they really are supposed to be doing and, and where's a good career path and trajectory for them? So then they leave. We talked about the challenges of dotted lines versus solid lines between a functional manager and a competency manager. Who do you listen to? Can we have two solid lines for reporting structure? Daniel believes, and, and I agree, People want managers who understand their day-to-day -day work. As stated, hiring into domain teams directly is very tough. Competency leads need to ensure the company has the right talent and the right amount of talent, and then work with the domains to place resources into those domains. It's a great point that Daniel made. Per Daniel, there is also the natural resistance to change with changing responsibilities. Employees end up worried. A new way of working always causes some amount of fear and obviously some amount of, of change and turn and things like that. Daniel and Scandinavian Airlines are currently trying to do this with some of their competencies. One tip Daniel gave for making change a little easier to accept is to very explicitly lay out expectations, heavily communicate, in fact, over communicate and clarify so we can take the fear of change head on. What will it mean for your job security? How are people going to work together? What's really going to change? Be clear how you want it to work so people can adjust to meet the goals, not the implied structure. You know, you say, okay, this is the way it's going to work on paper. And people try and follow the letter uh, of what that is on paper instead of what are you actually trying to achieve? Daniel finished up by talking about how data governance is still a major challenge in traditional organizations. They're looking to make the data cover governance as close to the product teams as possible at Scandinavian Airlines. The decisions should be owned by the product teams wherever possible. When turning over those responsibilities to the domains, it is important to give them good decision frameworks and also let them know they have a backstop in a centralized governance team if they need help. So with all that, I think you're really going to get a lot out of this conversation about how to manage your organizational structure and how to think about change within that, especially in a more traditional company. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. 
Very, very excited for this episode here today. I've got uh, Daniel Engberg, who is the head of AI, data, and platforms at Scandinavian Airlines. Um, this is part of the Data Innovation Summit 2022 takeover. So we're going to be talking about um, some things that that not necessarily relative to his exact presentation, but his presentation sparked some, some ideas around... Um, a really good topic for what people really have to focus on or, or really have to, to make sure they think about when, when you're doing data mesh and, and just data projects in general, data change, data transformation, you know, all, all of that of like, how do we really think about maintaining our ability to change our organizational structure and the way that we build out teams but that we're not kind of over-rotating towards that, let's be so agile that it's actually not agile at all. It's just thrash. It's just changing everything every every day. And how do we think about the centralization, decentralization kind of slider that, that we've talked about in, in some episodes as to a, a lot of things around the organizational structure? You know, uh, that's part of the the concept around governance within data mesh of kind of the federated computational governance, but also how do you think about where do you put people like data engineers or analytics engineers? Are they in the teams or are they in a central um, kind of a, a central team versus the domains? And how do you then, you know, attract and retain and grow your people if you're trying to decentralize them and put them in all the different teams and just a, a lot of these different questions. I, I don't think we're going to come up with the answers here. I think it's it's about how do we think about this and how do we look at this? So I'm, I'm very excited. I think this is going to be very useful for a lot of folks because this is this is one of those hidden challenges that people are like, am I the only one that that's not seen this? It's like, no, no, this, this is is important and it's and it's difficult. So um, Daniel, if you don't mind with that as kind of background, if you could give people a bit of an introduction to yourself and we can jump into the topic at hand. Yeah, sure. Uh, so Daniel Engberg, um, the head of AI data and platforms, which means that here at Scandinavian Airlines, I'm responsible for you know, our centralized capabilities when it comes to automation, machine learning, our data platforms, you know, centralized data lakes, uh, analytical tools. Uh, then I'm also responsible for the cloud platform, which we're not really going to discuss here. Uh, I've been at SAS for five years uh, right now, and before that, I used to work at Accenture as a strategy consultant. Awesome. And, and uh, so you've got a, a whole wide range of, <laughs> of all, all data and, and everything that, that you're doing with that. So um, I think let's, let's start to talk about what you've seen that has worked or maybe some things that you've seen, especially, you know, having worked at, at Accenture, you've worked with a lot of different clients about how people have, have approached this question? Like what, when people are starting to think about, should I centralize or decentralize or, or should I, how should I organize my, my team? Like, what do you think is the best way to kind of step back and not answer? Yes, you, this, this is the exact format, but like, what, what do you think about as kind of a, a rubric or a grading score or whatever about how people should even think about making those decisions, not answering that that specific set of, of uh, question. I mean, of course, I think first we should think about, you know, what are the type of capabilities we want to build? And, you know, where do we want to to place those capabilities? I mean, that's when it comes back to, you know, the organizational structure is just, um, for me, you know, a way to to produce certain capabilities and, uh, you know, run specific processes or whatever you want to call it. So, I mean, 
for me, the organization should just be, you know, the way we decide to kind of map our people to uh, to realize what we actually want to realize. I mean, so I mean that's always the start. You know, in any organization journey, we should always start. You know, what are the you know capabilities we want to build? What are the type of services and things we want to deliver? And then the organization should follow based on that. Yeah. Um, but I think right now, I think as well. I mean, mostly traditional companies. I mean, Scandinavian Airlines has been around for what seventy-five years, uh, and uh, you know, us more traditional companies. You know, we're very locked into our hierarchical structures, and I think that's another challenge. You know, we need to be mindful of because that decides so much in uh, in these type of companies. And I think that's where my entire view is that you know, can't we break up those? hierarchical structures not saying that everything should be flat and everyone can do what they want but maybe we should think more about you know how can we split up the competence from uh, uh, from the delivery and how can we create the teams more dynamically um, so that i mean then we're talking more about matrix organizations which we're typically bad at <laughs> yeah i i think it's it's we see the challenge of of having these um like you said, splitting up the competence from the, the delivery of, you know, we, we see as, as Max talked about and as everybody's kind of seen over the years of if we just have everybody that or if, if we have these constant boundaries between what are we trying to to accomplish at the business level and how do we actually do that at the the technology level or the um, capabilities level, it, it creates these hard boundaries where there's just mismatch of communication and context across those boundaries. And so the more boundaries we have, the harder it gets to actually accomplish what we want. But exactly what you, what you said of those matrix organizations, we haven't really found a great way of doing that. I think team topologies is one that keeps coming up as, as a good way, but team topologies is also super, super agile uh, uh, around changing and and having you know kind of agents of change where you have domains that have um kind of what they're trying to accomplish and you might have kind of a change agent type team that comes in and, and helps them move forward on that and then moves on and moves on but getting buy-in when <laughs> this is the way we've been doing it we're a 75 year old company like you said 75 year old company why are we having to throw out absolutely everything and you know i, I just recorded a uh an episode about differentiating the baby and the bathwater, right? You mm. don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. You want to get rid of the bathwater when you're done with it, but you don't want to get rid of the baby. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, and, and exactly what you said of the organal organizational structure is about achieving business goals. It's, it's, mm. we kind of, I think we lose this sight in, in a lot of things around data and technology of, what are we actually trying to achieve? We're not trying to achieve playing with fun technology or building cool things. We're trying to achieve business outcomes. So, you know, you, you are talking about breaking up these hierarchical structures. What have you seen that is a good way to start that conversation? Not necessarily how do you, how do you just achieve it? How do you move mm -hmm. that? Like, how do you start to, to are, you, are you tackling it kind of one hierarchical structure at a time or do you kind of carve it out where you say, I'm going to take out, you know, I'm thinking about hierarchical structures being a very vertical type mm -hmm. of thing. Are you trying to break that vertical and, and kind of take some of the shards from that and put them in the other verticals? Or are you trying to take out a thin slice and go, I'm going to go with this use case and I'm going to take people from you know, this, uh, this team, you know, team A, team B, team C, team D, you know, within that structure. And I'm going to create a, a thin slice of those people to achieve that one thing. And we're going to peel them out from the, those kind of monolithic structures. Mm -hmm. Have you seen either of those work well or? I think, I mean, uh, what you have seen work well, I mean, also during the pandemic, um, you know, and also, I mean, the airline is, uh, airline industry, we have uh, had a lot of crisis recently. <laughs> and, you know, um, what's been really interesting there is we actually formed these really kind of cross-functional teams where we gather people from this different parts of the organization to solve a single goal. 
and it's extremely powerful and those teams can move so fast and achieve so much value in a short time, which we're not able to do when it's back to kind of normal operations. Because then we put all the people there, you know, from, um, we had the team from, we had from finance, we had from our commercial organization, we had from uh, data engineers, we had software developers, we had the data scientists, we had RPA developers, everyone sitting in the same room. And, you know, how do we tackle this problem in the best way? You know, and then there just was no focus on kind of hierarchical structures or, you know, how do we allocate the resources prioritization? Because then the prioritization was clear, you know, we need to solve this for, for the survival of the company, more or less. Um, and we managed to achieve great things in, you know, a couple of days, which otherwise would have taken probably months or years. So I think that's also where my kind of belief is so strong that, you know, working in a different way um, will enable us to unlock you know, real business value. And so what were you finding that that is something that then is stable or was it that that was a team that was there to achieve that short term goal and then everybody moved back to what they were doing or have they stayed together? Um, they more or less moved back. I mean, of course it, uh, what it did was it created new kind of, uh, um, how can I explain it? New kind of threads across the organization that people start to know each other and distance is still closer within that, between those people are very involved. Uh, I think what we are trying to achieve now, you know, is basically part of my department, you know, it's about supporting kind of the other parts of our technology organization, but also the business, you know, with how do we actually, you know, bring this competence to them. So I'm trying to kind of infuse my resources into their teams for a specific one to solve the question rather than, you know, with the traditional, someone comes to a demand to us and then, you know, deliver on this, you know, we need this uh, KPI or we need this uh, structure. Instead of trying to infuse them in the teams to actually be part of the discussions and then also work with those teams to create the best possible solution. Uh, so kind of minimize the distance between the the product teams and uh, you know our centralized teams. Yeah, I think that. So Tim Tischler on his episode talked about um, he wants to completely get rid of those kind of request based cultures, and one is either you have something that's fully automated, so it's all the communication is via API, and it's mm-hmm. you know it's the machines talking to the machines, or it's the people talking to the people it's not the people writing out a ticket, right? <laughs> it's it's that they're embedded in those conversations and that, that context sharing is high context sharing instead of, oh, I wrote a one-page ticket for this, this thing that is going to take you three months to do versus if we short-circuited it and, and had the actual conversation and had the people in the room, it would take instead of one month of, of work and one month of time, it would take, you know, one hour for everybody to be in the meeting, another hour for two more updates, and it would take 20 hours of time to achieve. But like, we're just so allergic when it comes to these projects of having meetings. No, I agree. And I also think, you know, the challenge sometimes is that, you know, maybe we can find something that, uh, you know, we can do in a day that is 80% of the value versus the original request that might take a month to get the extra 20%. But if we don't have those discussions, you know, we will end up with, uh, you know, doing the 100% that takes a month rather than 80% that takes a day. Yeah, that you don't have those those intervals of this is this is what I need. This is what I want. This is is like pie in the sky, you know, like we would love if we could get to this, but like, here's what we need. Oh, well, base level, I can get you that now. So you can, Mm. you can not just get to that value, but you can get to that value faster. Mm. And so then that value has more business impact depending on, you know, timing and things like that. And so Mm. I I, I really like that concept. I I, I talk a lot lot about that kind of Pareto principle of 80-20 of, you know, do we need to go absolutely for the full request? And people aren't 
all that able to to fully um, write out their request all that well versus somebody going, well, this is the what's the art of the possible? Like, mm-hmm. here's the here's my picture of what I want to exist. Well, that's not possible. So like, I, should I just deliver you something that kind of matches that or that's mm-hmm. my own picture of that? Or should we have that that person to person conversation? So one question I would ask, though, is, you know, if people are returning back to their to their kind of hierarchical structures, how do you maintain what you built? Or, or was it something that was more of a, a, a one off that was about, you know, doing that that kind of delivery and that it wasn't something that was persistent? Because I think in those hierarchical structures, you at least do have an ownership and a team that that is clear owners mm-hmm. versus if you don't have that hierarchical structure you know as we you and I talked about like it becomes difficult to hire and retain people because they don't have that career that clear career path they don't have that mm-hmm. clear growth they're really really delivering value they're really doing a lot of of great work but mm-hmm. <laughs> No, I think, I mean, for that case, I think it's it's a bit divided on the technology side as well. It's also that, you know, all the people that's not technologists that were involved as well has gone back to their to their normal and not being as involved anymore. Um, and maybe a bit, you know, going back to that 80-20, you know, they also stop thinking about 80-20 and start thinking about, oh, we need this perfect solution that will, uh, you know, be good for all eternity and, uh, you know, Let's uh, let's not discuss. You know, we can solve eighty percent of this in a short while. The, rest, the other twenty percent, we might still have to do manually or in some other way because it's it will cost us too much to actually deliver on. Uh, but what I think is, you know, that uh, you know this type of cross-functional work has led at least me down to thinking that you know we should organize ourselves, you know, into competences where we can grow our people, where we can ensure, you know, the way it's working and how we actually want to do things. If we talk about, you know, machine learning or data engineering, you know, there are some commonalities we should want to adhere to, to be able to, you know, be scalable in the future as well and not having too wide varieties. But on the same time, we need to have kind of the the product owner, so to say, who can kind of gather these teams that will be intact for for a while, kind of gathering all of these competences to deliver a certain goal, uh, then they all should be part of the same team. Um, so that's what I came into, kind of the matrix structure where, you know, an individual might have a, a competence lead and a competence group that they belong to, and, you know, that plans their career development, their personal development, you know, how do they want to evolve as a person. Uh, but on a day-to-day basis, they work in a product team together with a lot of other different competences, um, which controls, you know, what are the value they are bringing to the company and the products they deliver. And, you know, it's, it's the balance with that. And I think going down that structure, it needs to be clear, you know, on a, on a management level as well, you know, what are the different responsibilities um, between the managers? You know, if you're a capability manager, what is your role versus, you know, if you're a product owner, what's your role and how do they collaborate uh, to make it as best as possible to ensure that we have the right, you know, get the right results and have the right talent on board. Because I think as you mentioned as well, you know, if we go down the hierarchy structure, we only set up the product teams uh, you know, once we hire a lot of people into that product team and then we have one data engineer in each team and, you know, so who's going to, you know, ensure that that they can progress in their career and, you know, how can we ensure that they can take a larger responsibility and, you know, within their field of interest? Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, Juan is Rosier's and his um, uh, meetup presentation talked about kind of the different cultures with this. And he and I had uh, an offline conversation about this of, you know, it's a dotted line versus firm line of who Mm. reports to what and how does this really work? And, um, all of that, like what, when you think about that kind of career growth, do you think that, that somebody within like a competency, like, like let's say data engineering, do they have to report into somebody who is a data engineering manager 
because they know the competency well? Do you think that the competency is the thing that matters most versus that if they report into the product owner, but have kind of strong, like their strong career trajectory and um, definitions at the overall organizational level, but they're not directly reporting into a uh, competency manager. Have you seen that work or what What do you think are the big challenges there? Is is it that people really become very isolated or and, and that it's every every single one is completely one off? Or? Yeah, but I think it always becomes a little bit like that when you talk about kind of solid line versus dotted line. You know, who should you listen to most? Uh, you know, what this, uh, you know, how much should I actually spend with this dotted line? You know, my solid line is telling me to do something else. Um, so I think that's, you know, what I'm more into is, you know, can we look more at, you know, can we have two solid lines, you know, but it's a clear differentiation between the solid lines on the purpose of those lines. Um, I mean, one, one is the kind of focusing on your kind of personal development, you as a person, you know, how do you grow that and kind of your long-term career development. Um, while the other one is focusing on kind of your day-to-day daily work. Um, and ensuring that you uh, function well in the team. And then, of course, we need to ensure, you know, we have uh, you know, performance management structures and everything that around it, and that these two different solid lines has a great communication on, on the individuals as, as well. Yeah, I, I've, I've heard of, of certain places that have um, a manager that is specifically only there for managing retention, career growth, and and you know, kind of knowledge share back into the company and things like that versus like, and that, so that would be the competency manager. Um, and that, that person is there to manage their career. And so that's the person that you're kind of having your one-on-ones with where it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's much more about what are you trying to, what, what are you as the employee trying to achieve and how are you mm-hmm. feeling and, and that kind of thing. And that there's a solid line into your day-to-day for the the manager, but it does create a, a, a or it can create a rather large layer of, um, of management, which then, you know, you have, if the company has any uh, issues or whatever, then all of a sudden, the no offense to you in your past life of, of being a consultant, but the consultants come in and go, you've got way too many managers, cut all the yeah. manager. And then, uh, you know, it throws everything into chaos. Um, mm-hmm. And it does feel like anytime there are challenges, people trying to shake that up instead of um, think about like, what, what are we, again, you talked about business objectives. What mm-hmm. are we trying to achieve? We're trying mm-hmm. to, we're trying to make it so that, our people feel valued enough and that they've got enough career trajectory and growth that they want to stay with the company. <laughs> and then we want to make sure that they're also delivering day-to-day value and doing that. So it's, it's, it's difficult. Um, yeah. And also to ensure, you know, that, uh, you know, the highly skilled talent that we, uh, we recruit and that we, you know, they want to stay with us and they, you know, feel that someone understands, you know, their line of work. But I think we have seen challenges, I mean, which you mentioned as well, you know, if we have a team, you know, you have one person that is a data scientist or a data engineer, and the person managing that might not actually know, you know, what the data scientist actually does or how they best utilize that competence. You know, we've seen that especially when, uh, you know, we had business unit recruiting data scientists, um, and then they leave after a while because you know, it's very, you know, you need to be sure that you you know what you want to do with each competence. And for me, I think data scientists, this is one of those competences that has been very hyped. You know, it's a, and a lot of people mistake them for data analysts when they're trying to recruit them into the business. And they want to say that they want to recruit a data scientist because data scientist is a bit hyped, but then uh, actually they want someone to, you know, drill down in their data and to be able to create great dashboards for them, which is probably not the best use of a data scientist. Or the uh, horror of 
that they want a data scientist and a data analyst and a data engineer in one person, and they expect them to do all three jobs, and that they're three full-time jobs or three, you know, 70, 80% time jobs. And so the person just goes, nope, <laughs> I'm burnt yeah. out pretty quick and, and leaves. Yeah. And it's possible to recruit to those roles as well. I mean, it, well, if, if the, the team is able to, uh, or if they're honest in sharing what they're looking for, those people yeah. will run away. But if they're not, yeah. um, so like, what, what have you seen that, that works? Let, let, let's kind of break it down into, hiring uh on that side do you think that the hiring you know if people are hiring into the team is it a matrix hiring type of of decision and does that then create the issue of way too long of lead time or or kind of a a complicated process where they have to interview with the product organization when you're looking to hire them as well as the competent competency organization or are you hiring people into the competency uh, kind of organization? And then once they're hired on, then they interview with different product teams or are they just placed in different product teams? Or what, what have you found that, that works? Or, or maybe what have you found that really doesn't work so people can avoid the anti-pattern? No, I think it's always challenging when we're trying to mix. Of course, you know, we had... Both, you know, when we're trying to hire to, uh, um, to the business, I mean, to the business teams, I mean, the more analytical teams in the business side, we're all, of course, trying to support them with competency, you know, in what they should, should hire. Uh, I think going long term, I think we should focus more on, you know, that the competency lead is actually the one responsible to ensure that we have the right competence in place and needed for the company. You know, if we want to, if you want to go down that route, I think that should be the main. I mean, the main purpose of the competency structure in the, in that type of organization would be to ensure that the company has, you know, the right talent and the right amount of talent at this at that specific moment. I mean, that should be their job, and not only you know managing the employees that are all there. It should also be to ensure that there is a good supply of and you know hiring the right people, etc. And then, you know, internally, I think we have more been working with uh, placing resources externally to team. You know, we want to take uh, person X and put them into team Y um, for you know a couple of months or whatever it might be, depending on, of course, you know, what needs to be achieved. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense because I think, um, again, that... Uh, you know, that competency lead can also be managing that career um, progression as well. And so it may be that, okay, this person really wants to learn about, you know, doing whatever, X, Y, Z. And they, um, so we're going to put them in a situation where they're going to learn about that. And they might be paired with somebody or they might be, um, you know, kind of, it might be an immature um, business organization that's just trying to figure out how to do this as well. And mm-hmm. so it's a good match because they're learning together. Um, but that, that ups retention and things like that, right? Where, where you're, you're listening to what do the people want to do? And then you're also aware of what are they capable of doing? So you go to that business person and they, they say, well, we want a data scientist. And then you talk to them and it's like, well, you want a data analyst, but you just mm-hmm. want to you, you want the data scientist because you've been told you want a data scientist, but you actually want a data analyst. So let's have that conversation. Um, I think that's, uh, I, I think that's a, a good way of approaching it. I think it, it makes a lot of sense and it prevents kind of the, the major preventable issues. It still obviously has challenges that you have to, to manage, but that it's not, it's not insurmountable challenges. It's not something that's going to be super. Uh, so have you found that higher, you know, like you said, the company's 75 years old, it's been kind of very hierarchical structure, like almost any company that's, you know, over 20, 25 years old has been, um, it's not kind of in that digital native type of, of sense. Um, 
So have you found that there's a lot of pushback towards having that structure um, within, you know, don't have to talk about Scandinavian airlines specifically. I'm talking about, you know, you've, you've worked with a lot, lot, lot of clients. Have you found that when you're trying to put in that matrix type of organization that there's a lot of pushback or, or how have you found that you can broach that conversation in a way where um, there isn't people, uh, you know, running for the axes to say off with your head? Yeah, there are challenges to it, definitely. I mean, uh, um, it's also the challenges, you know, you know, people having had this certain type of responsibility and now we're going to change it in something else. Uh, but it's also, I mean, from the individual employees, um, you know, the notion that, you know, I won't have one manager. I'm going to have two reporting lines and how will that work? And how will we, you know, work with and push back from kind of HR that we don't have, you know, the right performance management tools in place to facilitate that. We don't have, you know, the structures around it to facilitate that. Um, so there's definitely a lot of challenges. Um, I don't think there are, you know, it's not impossible to overcome, um, but it takes time. It's, uh, it's a difficult transition. Um, I think there's good benefits on the other side. And I'm not saying that we are not there yet. Um, we are trying with, with some specific competences, especially within my area. You know, we're talking about data engineers and data scientists and how we can you know, utilize those resources better across. Um, but then we should go into to more competences as well. You know, software development and uh, other types of skills. Yeah, well, and then there's the the whole push for everybody to just be a software engineer, and that you don't have specific competencies mm-hmm. and all that, and it's like uh, that that gets even more challenging and stuff. So, um, so I think this is really important to talk about what what you mentioned of the employees kind of feeling anxious and things like that. How, how have you seen that communication? work or, or, or not work? Do you have anything that you would tell people uh, as to what, what has been good or, or maybe what you tried and <laughs> it didn't go quite, quite as well and that you'd like to, to prevent them from having the same challenges? Or? No, I think it's important to clarify early, you know, what are the distinction between these different, uh, you know, dimensions and what is expected in each, I mean, also from an individual perspective. Um, I mean, what are you expected to um, to report back on? What are you expected in types of kind of tasks that are get to put on you? You know, who is deciding what? You know, I mean, clarify all of that. It might be unclear. Um, I think most of that, uh, you know, comes from a bit of, of insecurity from the employees. I mean, of course, I mean, there's a big change. You know, before I could go to one person and ask them everything. Uh, so I think that needs to be, I mean, it's not something you say, you also need to do the to do the hard work and dig into the details of what actually this means and to ensure that, you know, your management layer is, is fully aligned on that journey. Uh, I mean, it's change management all over again. We need to repeat, 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 repeat the <laughs> message. I mean... <laughs> That's the fundamental, I think. I mean, be clear about, you know, how we, how you want it to work. I mean, quite down into the details, not on a high level, but we need to you know, go in, you know, okay, so if I need to, uh, to tell someone I'm sick today, where do I do that? I mean, on a very basic level. Yeah, I, I think getting that, that granular is, is important and I think you said something there that I hadn't really thought about in in the past, which is, you know, you you talk about the expectations for the individual, but you also talk about the expectations for how it's going to impact their work relative to interacting with others, right? So there mm-hmm. there's that that expectation of how you're going to interact from a, a reporting standpoint and things like that, but even like how are you expected to work with other teams? Like, mm-hmm. you know, there isn't a, um, a specific person that you go to at, 
answer this specific thing. Like, what is my path when you run across these types of challenges? Not just like that, like you, you talked about the, the sick days, but even like, okay, you've got this uh, question, uh, you know, you, where, where do you go to even get this type of question or you need this type of resourcing? Mm-hmm. Where do you go? Not, not from just even the HR perspective, but like the day-to-day work that you, you lay that out and you make it so that people can feel like, you know, I, I had this, um, in my first stint at, at data stacks, I was there when we were, uh, 40 people. And, you know, I, I left when we had gotten up around 500 or 600 people. Um, but, you know, I still pretty much, if anybody had a question, I knew within two hops, you know, not necessarily, this is the person who's going to have the answer, but if this person doesn't have the answer, they'll know who, who has the answer. So people mm-hmm. would come to me very often to try and figure out how do I get an answer to this? Um, and, you know, Max Schultz has talked about this a lot with his um, stuff at Zalando where, you know, there was somebody who is a data analyst and they went to, they said, okay, I need this data and something broke in this thing. And so I'm going to go to the, the producing team. And they, they went to the team that they thought was producing it. And it wasn't that team or that team said, no, this isn't us. And so then they spent like, you know, weeks going back and forth with data engineering and poking around and what, and somebody really could, you know, finally got the right access into the the data flow. And they went back and they said, no, this is that first team you talked to. Mm-hmm. And they had no idea because it had been, it had been owned by one other person mm-hmm. uh, on that team who left. And so like, everybody's had that experience. Like, how do we prevent that net uh, you know, from things from falling through, or how do we create that net of of making it so that it's easy or easier, easy-ish, whatever you want to call it, that it's not incredibly difficult to constantly get those answers, and that you it takes um, months and months to get specific answers. Like I think, mm-hmm. but but you also don't want to over-engineer because then that becomes very very costly. So it, it, it's it's this constant battle between that. Have you found that people get really worried only about their own um, role within the company or, or do they, are they kind of anxious about how they're going to interact with each other and, and how that's going to work as well? What, what have you found is kind of the, the thing that people are the most anxious about? Um, I think it's a lot about their own role, actually. And then also, of course, you know, how do we, you know, how do we ensure that we get the right resources on board that we you know can get the kind of commonalities we want from a larger company as well you know, how can we ensure that we build the right things and how can we ensure that we build it in the right way and how can we you know basically be touching on uh, on what you said as well you know how can we ensure that there is uh, you know we get a long-term perspective on this as well that things are manageable and, and we know who owns it, etc. But I think that's also a bit kind of where the capability dimension comes in. We need someone also to kind of work with, um, you know, what are the best practices here? You know, when we talk about, uh, you know, data engineering or data science or what's the best practice for us, you know, how do we want to, how do we want to build things um, to not make that uh, too diversified? Yeah. And and I've talked to a couple of people who've talked about that they're um, anytime a new person comes in, that's the head of whatever that they go, okay, we're going to, my role now is to shake things up, you know, whether they're coming in because somebody left or because somebody was, was um, asked to leave. Um, And so, uh, okay, I've got to shake everything up and make this all mine instead. And so then, you know, does everything change? So you talk about that long-term manageability and it's like, okay, we had some kind of equilibrium. Was it working? Meh. But like, yeah, it's, it's, it's very um, fun for a lot of people inside those companies. Apologies. There was an audio issue here. Yeah. I, I think we've made, uh, we've covered a lot of um, the, kind of high level, especially of what, what you've talked about or what you're seeing 
when I think about the data engineering specifically, this is very, very, very relevant to data mesh because this has been kind of what you're talking about with this centralized team is not, uh, has become this bottleneck because we are just passing things from one team to the other. And so that, that competency model of how do we embed that competency? Do we have to actually embed them as data engineers or do we have to train our, our people to have more competencies, but everybody's kind of already overloaded with competencies. So we have to do that. Um, but I, I wanted to maybe go into as a specific example of how you would think about breaking up the hierarchy of data governance. And and, and I hate the, the term data governance in general, because it's really 17 subtopics underneath one, one big banner. But how, how do you think about kind of even starting that of, of where would you start to peel that off? Would you start to peel off, you know, and, and how do you make it so that governance isn't that gatekeeper, but they're that enabler, right? They're, they're value creation instead of um, just protecting your yourself from um, misuse or, or illegal use. If that's their only role, that that's a pretty expensive overhead versus mm-hmm. the... the the value creation? Um, it's a good question. You know, we're struggling a bit with data governance ourselves, you know, and uh, what we should do with it. Uh, but I mean, my perspective on this is that, you know, we should ensure that most of the data governance is as close to kind of our product teams as possible, you know, um, and the stakeholders of those product teams, you know, where we where we actually work with our products and set our definitions and, you know, our KPIs and, uh, you know, our data retentions, quality, et cetera. Um, you know, it needs to be owned by, by the, you know, in the end, kind of the product teams and, uh, you know, our data engineers. And we need to ensure that they have the right, you know, the right tooling and the right things in place for it to make it easier, you know. Uh, I don't think, uh, I don't really believe in these kind of large data governance structures that should, uh, you know, go outside the data teams or, you know, it needs to be embedded in them. Of course, we're going to need some, you know, business stakeholders that might be, you know, data owners and, you know, having actually setting, be part of setting the definitions and be clear on who does that. but we shouldn't, you know, should be included as part of the work that the data teams are doing. And I think um, Sarita Baxt on her episode had talked about um, that you need to flip the script on people going to governance early and and involving them in the, the decisions when they need to be involved, but like enabling teams to make decisions when they're... Um, when they're capable of making them, right? So mm-hmm. you need to work with them to make them capable of making those decisions, mm-hmm. right? If somebody's got like some really complicated things around GDPR or, or you know, things like that, or really complicated uh, questions around, is this really sensitive information or how sensitive is this or, or you know, but if it's somebody that's got like, Yes, there's email addresses in this data that that is PII that is sensitive. Like the teams know that, right? Yeah. And so, how do you make it so that they're capable of marking it as sensitive and making it easy to mask that data or not just make that open by default? And and how do you make it so that people you? you you hire smart people, right? If they're not mm-hmm. smart, if they're not capable, why do you hire them? Why do you keep them around? So how do you enable them while still making sure that, that they've, they're they going to come and ask the questions and not just make their own choices themselves when they aren't capable of making those choices? And it's, it's a hard line, but have you found anything that's that's kind of working for you to to move forward on that or...? No, not really. I think, you know, what we're discussing, I mean, to be honest, I mean, uh, we're not that great at it. I think we have, we give a lot of responsibility to the team to actually make those decisions. I think what we, what we're looking at now is more, you know, can we get, you know, a high level 
you know some some kind of high level framework for them to hold on to so that we don't need to have the discussions on each individual case you know so that we at least have the high level guidelines you know this is what we what we have decided to adhere to in terms of you know i mean gdpr is of course a law but there are other you know what do we classify as uh, pai data or sensitive data you know to what level uh, so I think we're looking at, you know, how can we create such a framework, but we're trying to build it kind of from the, we're not trying to take the kind of overall enterprise approach and creating a large data governance process that should go around and, you know, define it for all. It's more like now we're focusing more on, you know, let's set up more of a, a data product team for a specific area to drive a, kind of more of a transformation in that area. And then at the same time, they're trying to create that, while they're actually working with the data. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it was uh, Ramdas uh, Narayanan who was on, and he was talking about they created just this five categories of of um, like sensitivity level or whatever around mm-hmm. data, and so it was like one is is just fully open, and so anybody within the company that has that has a right to access data in general can access it right like you're not you're not gonna necessarily presumably but have like your um security staff that you know uh, that are able to to go in and and create like large-scale queries or things like that but like that people that are able to access data um can just have full access to it and then two is like moderately sensitive and then three you know and five is just is like employee salary data or like very, very, you know, sensitive data. And that you just say, okay, if something has to fall outside of these bounds, then it's the one-off, but like, let's create these bounds and then, you know, work with teams and tell them, and, and they're going to have questions at the start, um, as to where things fall, but they're going to start to learn, right. Mm -hmm. Mohammed Syed said, you know, you can't have data governance without informed governors. So if the only people who are informed are your governance team, then they're the only ones who can do the governance, right? Yeah. So how do you, exactly what you talked about, how do you create that framework? How do you create that knowledge sharing? How do you make it so that they they can easily make choices around whether this is sensitive or not? You know, it's, it's a lot more difficult in the the medical space because it might be that this one piece of information is not sensitive. But if you start to say, okay, if you have like three moderately uh, rare or not even rare, but moderately um, uncommon diagnoses, you can get to who that person is 98% of the time or whatever the made up statistic is. Right. So like if you're able to cross it with multiple other sets of data, you can back into who is this person and it becomes PII. Mm. <laughs> and so um, I think it's like if you have somebody's last name, their um, date of birth, and it might even be their their date, not even the, the year of birth and their zip code in the U.S., you have like an 88% chance of figuring out who that person is like on a one to one individualized basis. So it's like, you know, what can become PII becomes very, very difficult. And so like working with your teams to do that is, I keep hearing this more and more of, of people saying, this is where we want to get to, but I'm not getting anybody who's giving me a ton of specifics. <laughs> Because I think those specifics are super, super challenging. Like, have you had success in, in breaking down any of those th- or, or maybe even thinking about the data enablement of like creating standards for, for data sharing or things like that that go through mm. the governance teams? Have you have you had any things where you'd say, hey, we, we're having some successes in the, you know, the access control and the the like what we think of as traditional governance is is still really difficult, but like where we're thinking about collaboration or anything like that. Is, is there anything that, that you've had kind of some positive wins on there? Or? I think it's an extremely difficult topic, especially around this, you know, what is 
what should be classified as PAI data. Um, and uh, I don't think we really, we, we haven't really cracked, cracked the nut on that one, I have to say. Uh, we're still trying to figure out uh, how exactly we should do it because it's, uh, you know, it, it is difficult. I mean, also for us, you know, what is PAI data? If, if I have your, you know, booking reference as an airline customer, of course, if I have access to our reservation system, I can know who it is. Is that then classified as PI data? Yeah, that that's exactly that's the the medical thing of like if you've got that joint access, it becomes PII. Mm. But if not, yeah. you don't. And like, yeah, it's it becomes uh, yeah, it's it's such a a difficult challenge. And and but if we can't get any of the data, you know, what does the data actually tell us? You know, it's, there is a really interesting use case that uh, Emily Gorsensky had talked about um, from ThoughtWorks at, at a in a webinar last year, um, where they actually have a GDPR service where you're you're able to keep data about somebody for GDR purpose GDPR mm-hmm. purposes, where um, you can keep that this person should not be in any of your your system, and mm-hmm. so they created a uh, a system that other people could check their systems against and say, if you have any of these things that are returning as you've got this data, you need to purge it. So every other system could purge, you know, could check against this and go, you know, I'm going to do this check to see if this, if I've got any of the the people in this in my systems and purge it. So like there, there are those like really interesting use cases around that stuff but but exactly what you talked about of yeah, but then it's the same i mean we have the same i mean of course we're in the eu so we have the you know gdpr you know people have to give consent to share the data on the same time you know it's some of some of some people's pi data we need to keep as well for legal purposes yeah. i mean we can't purge all passenger data that's uh, not uh, that's not legal either and then then those kind of uh, laws Trump GDPR in terms of, you know, we're being, we have to be able to state, you know, which passengers flew with which flight, et cetera. Yeah. Legitimate business purpose overrides the, right? Like yeah. uh, it's not marketing purpose. It's legitimate business purpose where you have to, yeah, yeah makes total sense. So, well, um, Daniel, this has been really, really helpful. I, I think, um, you know, I, I think people will probably hear this and, and say, well, I've got more, more questions than answers, but I think that, that, that there's that feeling of, okay, I'm not alone in this, right? Like that yeah. th- these are the challenges that people are seeing. And, and like, I think we, we covered a lot of good frameworks and good ways to think about these challenges, but everybody still has to answer the questions themselves. We don't, we don't have the answers, but we have uh, a good set of questions. Um, is there anything we didn't cover or is there any kind of uh, summation that you'd want to kind of share with folks? Uh, you know, this, this stuff is really challenging and, <laughs> and that, but um, is there anything that you'd want to kind of share with folks about that? No, nothing in addition, I think. Okay. Well, um, this, like I said, this, this has been very helpful and, and I'm sure there are going to be people who want to follow up with you about mm-hmm. this. Where, where's the, the best place to follow up and, and what do you want people kind of reaching out to you about? I think LinkedIn would be the best. Okay. I'll drop that in the show notes yeah. for, for folks. Is there any specific topic or anything that you really want to, if people have the, uh, whether more questions or if they have the answers for you, is there anything that you want them no, but I think about this, you know, how do we organize ourselves? But I also think, you know, the data governance topic is very, um, what is it, very top of mind here right now as well. Yeah. Um, so I think it's... Uh, I think it is for everybody. I think it's, yeah. it's, it's something that's just been, that we've put off more and more. We keep saying we're doing these huge advances in data mm-hmm. and, and yet it's, it's kind of the... The, the thing that's been sitting there in front of everybody <laughs> that we haven't solved. Yeah, and the more data we have, the more difficult it becomes to solve, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, Daniel, thank you so much for spending the time here today. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Daniel Engberg, head of AI, data, and platforms at Scandinavian Airlines. 
As per usual, you can find his contact information in the show notes. Thank you. As mentioned, this episode was part of the Data Innovation Summit Takeover Week of Data Mesh Radio. The Takeover Week featured three people presenting at the conference, sharing their insights related to their focus areas that are also useful to those implementing Data Mesh. I chose to promote the Data Innovation Summit as the HyperWrite team who is running the summit has been one of the best in terms of discussing Data Mesh in a practical way around a lot of their content. The summit takes place May 5th and 6th in Stockholm, Sweden and online. The Data Innovation Summit team has graciously offered up three free online attendance tickets as well as one in-person ticket. Please see the show notes for information on how to enter your name to win free tickets and also to use the 20% discount code if you aren't one of the lucky ones who win. In-person tickets are about $465 after the discount code and online tickets are about $200. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left DataStax, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about, like, going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest, you know, what what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music. Mm-hmm.